Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the In The Clutch Podcast. My name is Drew Clutchy and I'm here alongside my co-host Jeremy Wilson. We're well into the offseason now and in our last episode we covered what's been the biggest news of the offseason so far, the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. So now that we're in Episode 2, we're going to dive into some of the other trades that have happened kind of early into the offseason here and as well as some free agent sign-ins. So the first thing that really stands out to me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Chair, is Rudy Gobert joining Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. It's been a long time since we've seen a team legitimately try to run um, a double big lineup where both bigs are quality players. Um, like Carl Anthony Towns, when he came into the league, his natural position, I believe, is power forward. But as the league shifted away from um, bigger lineups, he just kind of moved over to center. Um, I don't think he'll have any problem playing power forward because uh, he can shoot the lights out and with all the things he can do on the perimeter. Uh, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how they fit. But here's the thing, though. I almost agree with you where Carl Anthony Towns' natural position is power forward, but he has the body of a center. So it's almost like the Anthony Davis scenario where Anthony Davis is a, is a power forward, like by the way he plays and by the way he would like to play and his aggressiveness and all that kind of stuff. But you're going to be better off when Anthony Davis is your center. So to me, the Carl Anthony Town thing stands out in the same way, where when I look at Rudy Gobert, you just know that they're going to struggle offensively in the fourth quarter when Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns are plugging the paint together. And then similarly, they're going to struggle defensively when non- nobody can guard the perimeter. Well, my thing is, offensively, you say, like, Rudy Gobert and Carlos Stanton will clog the paint, but Carlos Stanton shot, what, like 40% from three last year? Right. But on what kind of volume do you think he can continually do that? And in what relation do you think his three-point shooting is to the fact that he's a paint threat? I think... He, I think he's just a shooter. Like, I think in terms of a big, he shot 41% from three last year on about five attempts a game, which is a pretty high volume. Um, so I just think that I don't think they'll have offensive issues in terms of I think that um, Carolina Dance can move out to the perimeter and Rudy Gobert can sit in the dunker spot and – I don't think that'll be an issue any more than it was for Utah when Rudy Gobert still didn't shoot there. Um, it's interesting to think about the defense because currently Towns definitely isn't the fastest in terms of lateral quickness to be able to guard the perimeter, depending on who he's asked to guard. Um, but if you get blown by on the perimeter, Rudy Gobert is sitting at the rim, and that's going to make your defense pretty good, you'd think. Which I guess that's true, but when you say who he's asked to guard, if you look at a team like Boston, who's like is Carl Anthony Towns going to guard Jason Tatum now? Right, and that's where you're going to run into issues, right? Where you have teams that are relatively small and just fast across all their positions, um, but not a ton of teams have legitimate threats at every position or similarly are you going to ask carl anthony towns to guard kevin durant on the perimeter in toronto where you have like siakam's on the perimeter and somehow we're going to keep scotty barnes and og in that trade 
So all we'll be missing is Gary Trent. So it'll be like Fred Van Vliet and then OG, Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and Kevin Durant. How are you going to guard that? Right. And I, right, this, I don't is, know. this is in my fantasy land where we just give up Gary Trent for Kevin Durant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly how. Maybe Carlton Towns is a better perimeter defender than I'm giving him credit for. Right. Um, but in Utah, they had, to my knowledge, kind of a bunch of bad perimeter defenders. Like, in terms of Mike Conley at this point in his career is a below-average perimeter defender. Yeah. Um, Donovan Mitchell has never been a good perimeter defender. And regardless of that, they had the 10th best defense. Oh, this is just in the playoffs. Um, let me just adjust this to regular season. Um, they had the 10th best defense in the league last year because three-time defensive player of the year and – Hall of Famer Rudy Gobert sitting in the paint waiting for you. Right. But you really saw, though, when they were against the Mavericks, where the Mavericks were just able to expose Gobert. Now, obviously, that's not entirely on Gobert. And I know when the Mavericks, or not the Mavericks, when the Jazz got beat the year before, everybody ripped apart Rudy Gobert when they got beat by the Clippers. It's obviously not on Gobert. You look worse in the paint when you're hugging the paint if your perimeter defenders aren't doing anything valuable. Right. So Rudy Gobert is obviously a valuable player, and he could probably play in the fourth quarters of games down the stretch. But you'd think with a player that you're playing, like, I don't know, I think he makes $40 million or something, that you'd want him guaranteed to be on the floor in the final minutes of the game. Versus Rudy Gobert, kind of depends on the matchup. But when you look at a player like Siakam, who's currently the biggest salary cap hit on the Raptors, like, we definitely have him out at the end. There's no questions about it. Right, and... Yeah, especially a guy that you just traded five players and four first-round picks for. Which, on a semi-related note, Brooklyn must have cried when they saw that, like tears of joy, because they're like, okay, well, that sets the market on what Kevin Durant is now. Kevin Durant, you have to trade, like, your whole team, and you have to, like, name the arena after us. <laughs> right, but given the best play, the best player in that trade was either Malik Beasley or Patrick Beverly. Like, Which that's fair, but it's also Kevin Durant over Rudy Gobert. Right. So you're you're going to demand both the same amount of picks and better players. Um, but yeah, the, that it's a really interesting fit in Minnesota, and I wasn't sure there would be a market for Rudy Gobert because I was like, he's been played off the floor multiple times in the postseason. Right. So what's the point? But well, I guess Minnesota but, thinks they have enough shooting around him. Yeah, there's obviously fun. a way to utilize Rudy Gobert in the same way that there's kind of like a weird way to maximize Draymond Green. There's a way to do it. We just have to – you have to be the coach that believes you can figure it out and the and the organization that believes you can put the right players around him. Um, so then that brings forth an interesting thing, which we I guess we could have talked about in episode one, but it also fits here, which is that – now, would you trade Carl Anthony Towns for Kevin Durant? I've heard the Timberwolves wouldn't do that. Why um, not? Which is which is like, why not personally in your opinion? I I would if if it caught, but you don't have the surrounding assets to get them, right? Because um, it's going to cost more than just Carl Anthony Towns, um, and you no longer have the picks to get them. Which, that's fair. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't really have anything left. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's a feasible trade 
Would you without trading the other half with D'Angelo Russell back to Brooklyn for it? D'Angelo Russell is an interesting trade piece. I don't know what his value is. So I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and two, three picks would get it done. But then you're out seven first-round picks and seven players. And now where's the rest of your team? Well, they can't be out any more first-round picks because you can't trade them in back-to-back years. Right, so they've traded their picks from 2023 through 2029 on yeah, alternate seasons. Right, so, yeah, I don't think it's a trade that's feasible to do, even though it seems as though the Timberwolves have said, no, we're not trading towns, and I'm, I I would. Well, but. And I guess for that to go through based on the assets that the Timberwolves have left, you'd have to bet on Brooklyn being really high on Carl Anthony Towns. Right, and Carl Anthony Towns is a great player and probably the third best center in the league. Um, yeah, that's fair. But he's not a superstar game changer necessarily. Well, not yet. But with a player like that, you never know because he is. Well, you say not yet, but Carl Anthony Towns has been in the league for. Yeah, I bet he's only like twenty six though. I see you quickly pulling that up. Yeah, I already had him up, so I just didn't want to get around. But yeah, he's seven years in. How old is he? Twenty six. He is twenty six. You nailed that. Oh wow! Okay, lucky guess. I get the record was actually lucky guess. I don't think he's getting all that much better after seven seasons. But he doesn't have to get all that much better. He just has to get that little little bit better. It's like Andrew Wiggins deciding to play defense this year. Right, but you have to get that little bit better. Enough. It's not a little bit better that's required for him to become a superstar because he's got to be able to surpass or at least equal one of Embiid and Jokic. Oh, I thought we were, I thought we were going by my, I, there are only seven superstars kind of ranking and Jimmy Butler's the very last one. You only have seven superstars. Jimmy. Well, I, I don't know if it's exactly seven, but you know how I always say Jimmy Butler's the last superstar before you get into all-stars. Yes. So I thought you were going to say he had to have more of an impact than Jimmy Butler rather than be better than a beating Jokic. I, I don't know. Jimmy Butler is not a superstar in the regular season and is a superstar in the playoffs. So if he can surpass the playoff impact of Jimmy Butler, I'll give him superstardom. Right. But... So, so, sorry, then you give Towns superstardom. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. So I don't think he's super far off. Like, I don't personally think he'll do it because I don't believe in Towns as a player and I don't believe in his work ethic and defensive effort and blah, 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 blah. But... I think he's not actually that far off because he's already offensively dominant. So if he just has a season where he cuts down his turnovers and plays good defense, then he'd pretty much be there. And if he, the team is a good playoff run, then he's the last superstar. Right. And one thing we haven't mentioned yet about Minnesota is Anthony Edwards. And we haven't talked about him at all, but he's got to become an elite scorer with, two bigs on like he's got to be able to be the focal point of an offense uh so like he's got he needs to be like a 25 26 27 point per game guy for this to work which and i think it i think he will become that because the interesting thing to me with a player like anthony edwards is he had a solid season last year like they were very like he overall on average he was pretty good played strong offensively there's 
something left to be desired defensively, but he's really athletic. So, and as we know, defend defending in the NBA takes time. Rookies tend to struggle with it. The schemes are really complicated. The players are very talented. Yeah. But the thing that stands out to me about uh, Anthony Edwards is that he had some disgustingly explosive games. Like there was a game where he hit 10 threes and there were games where he just dominated the paint because he's so freakishly athletic. That to me, that's promising because if he's already averaging 22, 23, 24 points and then also showing that every once in a while he can just absolutely explode, then I think as he gets a little bit older and starts to become hopefully more efficient and just kind of the more the more basketballs you shoot in your life and all the professional coaching and everything, right? Then I think that really shows that the fact that he can already explode for some big numbers and still be pretty good consistently means that he has the chance to just be like a 29-point-per-game scorer. Right, and that would maybe bring this whole Gobert trade together if you now have an elite offensive power forward in town a legitimate passing and shooting point guard with D'Angelo and not an elite scorer at your shooting guard, that that can bring that whole thing together because that can make up for the lack of what Rudy Gobert is going to give you defensively. And then he can add all his value – or, sorry, the lack of what Rudy Gobert is going to give you offensively. And he can add all his value. I thought about that, and I was like, that's not it. Right. So if Anthony Edwards can – make up that maybe a little bit of lost production you'll get with Rudy Gobert on offense, then you're just adding a Hall of Fame defender. Right. Which, that makes a big difference. Those Hall of Fame defenders, they're pretty valuable. You would hope so. So, the other kind of major deal that's gone down, which is the DeJunte Murray to Atlanta to partner him with Trey Young, we talked about that already because we covered it. It happened live as we recorded in episode 22, the final episode of season one. So the only other major thing I want to touch on here is one of the big signings that happened and big, big in terms of dollar value, not necessarily in terms of impact is uh, Jalen Brunson joining the Knicks. So I think it was a very Nick move where it's like, we're going to overpay a, an above average starter and just kind of hope that he improves or sells tickets or I don't really know what the Knicks were doing there, but it kind of opens the door to nothing where Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall isn't a chip and Jalen Brunson's now making like $30 million a year. So like, that's not a super valuable contract by any means. So it was a very Nick thing to do, but nevertheless, it's one of the biggest signings of the off season so far. Yeah. That's the most Nick thing ever. I'm sorry. Can we give the max to Julius Randall? What about Jalen Brunson? How many mediocre players can we give as much money as possible to? Which I feel bad for the Knicks. Hear me out. Because they gave Julius Randle a big contract. And then we all made fun of the Knicks. And then Julius Randle made the Knicks look right. And then we all apologized to the Knicks. And then he reverted back to normal Julius Randle. We were like, oh, okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. We were right. So... (laughs) He like, like Julius Randle bailed out NBA fans and screwed over the Knicks. So I feel bad for the Knicks. So then the other piece is then they still have RJ Barrett, which he's a good player. And same thing, we're looking for some ascension from him, like continued ascension. He had another good season. But Jalen Brunson plus an improved RJ Barrett plus Julius Randle, still not a chip. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, I don't know. Are they a playoff team? Probably not. They're not probably a play-in team. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say they're. Oh, okay, that's what you're going. Yeah, they're not top six. Right. They so, yeah. And now you have next year. I just looked up the next payroll. Jalen Brunson making twenty eight million next year. He's got a front loaded contract apparently. That's a lot of millions. That's a lot. So Jalen Brunson at twenty eight. Julius Randle at twenty three. Evan Fournier at eighteen. And now you have a B plus, a B and a B minus player taking up $60 million in cap space. You know what, though? The Evan Fournier contract, I wouldn't fault the Knicks on because on three-point shooting, like put aside the fact that he didn't have a great season, they didn't really play him, blah, 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 blah. That's not per se at the time they signed that and still today even. That's not like a terrible contract because 18 is a good tradable number. If you want to go in on a big superstar player, like to match salary. And then the other thing is 18, but at least it's a good shooter. Yeah. So the Knicks are in this place where I feel like they've been for like 10 years now, where it's like they're not good and they don't really have a lot of good young players. Like RJ is good, but it's not like you can see a future for the Knicks where it's like, man, give them five years and look where they'll be. It's like, the Knicks are bad now and seemingly aren't going to be good later. The New York Knicks wish that they were the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, I'm sure they do. They're just not doing it quite as well. It's like when you play a game of broken telephone and they were like, hey, what's the recipe for that? And then Memphis told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. And then the Knicks went and got Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and Jalen Brunson. And then they like saw the, saw the Memphis Grizzlies at a party later on. And they were like, oh, we did it. We did it just like you. That's what we did. And Memphis is just pretending to be nice. And they're like, oh, yeah, you did it just like us. We're the same. Yeah, yeah good job, guys. Maybe we'll see you in the – no, we're not going to see you in the playoffs. Yeah, I know. Like Memphis, then, yeah, then they go in like – they laugh on their own time. And they're like, they didn't do it like us, did they? Like, I think, I think we're a bit better than that. But that's what I mean, though. It's like we talk about a promising team like Memphis. We can see, we can connect the dots. Versus with the Knicks, we can connect the dots to a mediocre team. Yeah, the the Knicks are. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you do with them. I don't. I don't know who needs to be fired. If it's the GM or the owner, I know you can't fire the owner, but I don't know who it is that makes these decisions. But, man, do the Knicks need a Masai Ujiri. <laughs> yeah, which is that's a struggle. But anyway, and the whole thing, too, is not to disrespect Jalen Brunson because he had a great year, and he's a good player. Like, I'm not going to say he's not a great player. He's not like Paul George or Kawhi or something or LeBron. But Jalen Brunson's a good player. But you never want to be one of those contracts that's an overpay. And technically speaking, we don't know if Jalen Brunson's an overpay or not yet because he looked really good this year, and he's still young in this room to improve. So you just kind of hope kind of for Jalen Brunson that you continue to see the ascension, and he doesn't look like this overpaid player for the next four or five years. Right, and I imagine that Jalen Brunson will – he might not outperform his contract because for that to happen, he's going to have to be a max player. Um, but, like, he won't be – grossly overpaid like it's not a situation that you you're running into now with like a gordon hayward who barely plays and is getting huge money it's like jalen brunson is gonna he's getting 27 and a half million a year and he's probably a 22 to 23 million dollar a year player right which that's fair so even yeah i guess you're right it won't be like a grossly overpaid thing and that's good for both him and for the knicks 
because it makes the contract tradable down the road if they decide to go yet another different direction. Yeah, maybe they'll go and uh, sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie again, even though that didn't go that oh, well. Oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I would laugh so hard if that happened. <laughs> oh. Anyways, that's all we've got for episode two of season two of the In The Trust <laughs> podcast. We'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.